for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex. I'm a member here at Christ First, and I'm going to be continuing our series, uh, Life on Mission. Uh, but before we crack on, uh, I just want to open in prayer. Yeah, Father God, we, uh, we thank you already for this morning, for an opportunity to, to praise you, to worship you, to declare your goodness. We thank you that you've been with us, and I pray that you would be with us now as we look to your word. Would you bless the words I speak? Help us to, to love you more now. Help us to grow in obedience to you, I pray. Amen. Great. Hopefully the praise is working as well. Looks like it is. Great. Could 2020 uh, be the year of harvest in Christ first? Could 2020 be the year in which God pours out his spirit on us as a church body that we would boldly live, live lives of witness to him? Could 2020 be the year in which we see salvation come to Watford in a new and powerful way? Could 2020 be the year in which we see many people come to the knowledge of God and place their faith in him? Could 2020 be the year? You see, God, God has been so good to us as a church, hasn't he? Uh, you know, every Sunday morning, we know we've, we've been able to gather here and worship him. God has blessed us with another building at Fuller Way, just up the road. As a church, we've been able to go to Ashburnham, uh, to, to learn about him and to serve other churches there. Uh, in this year and recent years, we've been able to grow as a body in maturity as well. God has been good. Um, however, I think when we, when we look at our church, I think something sticks and that's that we haven't seen too many new believers come to faith through our mission. And I think that's been the case for a few years. And that's really been the driving force behind why we've been doing this series, A Life on Mission. It's because the elders of the church, and I really hope that we as a church, we want to see salvation come to Watford. We want to see people come to knowledge of God. That's why we've been doing this series. And as we're coming towards um, the, the, near, the back end of this series, um, I think it's a fear of mine that we may have so far missed the most important part when it comes to living a life on mission. And what I think is the most important part of living a life on mission is prayer. It's prayer. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a church of prayer, don't we? Why is that? I think simply put, it's because when we pray, we're seeking to tap into the very power of God. How can we seek to change our nation, seek to change our town, if we don't come to God in humility and seek his blessing and to seek his will? We need to be a people of prayer. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. And so my message is really quite clear, I think, this morning. And it's, well, my aim is quite clear. It's, I want to encourage us to be a people of prayer. I want to encourage us to be committed to prayer. Fantastic. Uh, so on the screen behind me, you'll see um, an F1 car. And specifically, this is a, an F1 car, a Ferrari F1 car from the 2007 uh, season. And at the Hungarian Grand Prix, 
Felipe Massa, who was driving his car, he, he drove out of a pit lane to try and set up set a, a qualifying lap time to try and set the fastest lap he could set. However, as he came out of the pit lane, instead of accelerating out at 200 miles an hour, his car pulled to a halt at the side of the road, at the side of the track. And see, what had happened is that the mechanics had forgotten to put fuel into his car. Crazy. As you think, all, all the millions of pounds that had been pumped into designing his car, all the hundreds of people, geniuses, who've designed it as well, <coughs> despite all of those things, it was stuck on the track, moving nowhere, because it hadn't been fueled. And so I, I'm going to use this as an analogy to say, this is what we could be like as a church or mission if we don't pray. Because prayer is a fuel for us as a church. If we don't pray, we could be like that car on the side of a track. Yeah? We could have all the, uh, all the best ideas and structures in place. But if we don't pray, we're not going to be moving anywhere. We're going to be on that side. So that's what we're talking about this morning, prayer. Uh, John Piper puts it this way. He says this. God is free in his dispensation of mercy. But this I do know, that before God enables his people to bring in a harvest, he pours out a spirit of prayer upon them. The surest sign that God is about to send power upon us is a great movement of prayer in our midst. Let me just move a couple of these out of the way, actually. So you're blocking my view. There we go. So we're going to be looking at um, a chapter from the Gospel of Matthew today to help us with this. And it's from Matthew chapter 9. Now, before I, um, I read this passage of Scripture, which will be on the screen behind me, I just want to put it in, in its context. You see, uh, Jesus has been going about uh, the cities and villages and he's been teaching and he's been working amazing miracles. And then here we have this passage where Jesus is going to teach, to teach his disciples. He's speaking to his disciples. And in the very next chapter after these verses, Jesus sends out his disciples on mission. So I think it's a great passage of scripture for us to look at as we consider going out on mission. Because what, what we have here is Jesus speaking to his disciples directly before he sends them out mission. So let's read it. So it's Matthew chapter 9, starting from verse 35. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Great. So the, the first uh, point I think we can learn from this passage, passage is that it, it teaches us how to look at our fellow men. Because we can look at how uh, the crowds are described in this passage. They're described as 
people who are harassed and helpless, like people without a shepherd. And, and it's important to note that here Jesus is not describing people who are particularly poor or who, people who are particularly sick. I think the crowds are a real mix of society. And yet Jesus would describe him as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I, I wonder about you. Do, do you would, is that how you would describe um, the average person? I, I think if I ask myself that question, the answer probably would be no, because... We live in, a, obviously, a British culture, and if we ask people, how are you doing? The response 95% of the time will be good. If someone's had the best day of their life, you ask them how they're doing, they'll probably just still just make, say good. If they've had the worst day, everything has gone wrong, they'll probably still just say good. And so actually, um, I think we as a culture, we, we do put on this facade of everything's okay. But the reality is that we live in a as has always been the case, that people are harassed and helpless. Um, Jesus kind of sees past the external to actually how people are truly doing inside. So how, people, how, how are people harassed and helpless? Well, the word here is actually trying to refer to like a weariness or a fatigue that comes from being burdened. And you see, I think it's, it's clear that we face many burdens, don't we? And everyone does, whether these are work burdens or burdens relationally or financially. Everyone has burdens. You can't escape it. But we know that as Christians, we can place our burdens on Christ. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But for the non-Christian, ultimately, they have nothing to place their burdens upon. They have to carry it. And if, if we look more deeply into this analogy of a flock of sheep... Um, the idea is that this flock of sheep, they're, they're abandoned and they're neglected because they, they lack a leader, they lack a shepherd. And so similarly, when if, if people, non-Christians have burdens and things go wrong, they have no greater power to look to for help. People without Christ are like sheep without a shepherd. And now I, I, don't, I don't want to be ignorant because I'm, I'm sure that there are non-Christians who who perhaps right now don't feel burdened, who, who are perfectly content with their lives as well. I, think, I feel like Jesus would say that no matter how good or bad people are, reality is that if you don't believe in Jesus, then you cannot be saved. Um, if you don't believe in Jesus, then you, you cannot have ultimate meaning in life and you cannot have a clear conscience before God and you have no hope of eternal life. I wonder if, if, is this how we see our non-Christian friends, family, and neighbors? Do we see the need that they have of Jesus? I think there's a real challenge there for us this morning. So my first point is that we, need, we need, actually need the eyes of Jesus to see the great need that is out there, to see people who need Jesus. I think that's a challenge for us. Um, now, before we move on, I just want to take a quick moment uh, just to speak to anyone who is a non-Christian here this morning, or even if you are a Christian, but you are struggling through some hard times. I want to speak to you and to remind you that if you do feel burdened, if you do feel lost, then there is good news that Jesus is your good shepherd. 
He can be. He can help you with your burdens. Uh, I'm going to look at another passage of scripture to help us understand this. And it's from Psalm 23. This is a, a song of worship written um, to God. And it, and it says this, it says that, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of a shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, this is what is on offer from our God. Look how amazing it is. Like, we can have a shepherd that we can look to for help. We have a shepherd who can protect us as we lie down. We have a shepherd who can lead us. We have a shepherd who can restore us. We have a shepherd who is so great that we don't have to fear any other evil. We have a shepherd who can comfort us. And so if you're a non-Christian this morning, hear those words as, this is, this is how great our God is. And if you're a Christian here who's struggling through some things, and again, hear these words as, an act of, as words of encouragement to you. Ultimately, uh, Jesus is the only one who can give us the gift of eternal life. If any of those things speak to you this morning, then, um, then I'd, I'd encourage you to speak to someone after the service, perhaps a person you've come with or one of the prayer team. I know we'd, they'd yeah, love to pray with you and speak to you about any of those things. Now, if we move on back to our, our passage, uh, the second point I think we can learn from this uh, se- uh, section of scripture is that at uh, it teaches us how to respond when we see the great need in our world. You see, what, what does the passage uh, say? It says that Jesus had compassion on the crowds. And that's exactly what we must feel as Christians. The word here literally means to be moved in one's stomach with pity. We must be compassionate people. And again, I have to... I have to uh, challenge us, you know, when was the last time you really felt compassion for others? I know if I ask myself that question, I fear that it's been far too long when really it should be something I feel regularly, compassion. Uh, I think we're called to feel compassion and, and not, not indifference. I think that's perhaps the biggest challenge is when we see a need, do we just look away and think, Oh, that's someone else's problem. No, we need to be compassionate. I think if we're honest, compassion does not come naturally to us. Uh, in preparing this message, I, I was trying to think about what, what are the main reasons why we don't pray more? What are the main reasons why we don't pray more? I think one of the main reasons, at least for me, is that unfortunately we simply don't care enough. We don't care enough. But I think, I mean, my hope is that these first two points we've looked at will help us with this. You see, when we see the first point that there is a great need, and then when we, if we're able to respond to that need with compassion, then we will start to care and we will start to commit things to God more.
if you've, I suppose, been uh, convicted by that, I, I, I don't want you to feel, I suppose, dejected or burdened. I think that's wrong. But the way to respond to that is actually, again, to, to pray to God that he would change your hearts, so that we would feel greater compassion and that we would see the need that is out there. So we need the eyes of Jesus to see the great need and we need the compassion of Jesus too. The third point I think we can learn from this passage is that the harvest is plentiful. And it's that word plentiful, which I think is really important. What does it say? It says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Uh, this, when it's talking about the harvest being plentiful, it's talking about the large number of God's elect. And so the metaphor changes here, whereas before we were looking at sheep and a shepherd, now we're looking at a harvest field and, and workers. But Jesus here, he sees an amazing potential for people to turn and place their faith in him. Jesus doesn't say that there are, there are seeds in the ground and they may come up and grow. There may be a harvest later. No, he's saying that there is a harvest and it is ready now and it is plentiful. I wonder if you feel that way when you think about the harvest field in Watford. Do you think that the harvest field is plentiful? Again, if I ask myself that question, I'm not sure if I do, unfortunately. Again, has it, has it been so long that you've seen someone in your own life come to faith in Jesus, that you've, you've stopped believing at it, that you could see it again? Then I think God would speak to us this morning and encourage us that no, the harvest is plentiful. God can do something and God can save. And God can bring amazing salvation to Watford. There is potential salvation. And so we need the expectancy and hopefulness of Christ. When I, when I say the expectancy of Jesus, I mean that Jesus um, had an expectation of this amazing harvest that we brought. And so similarly, we need to have that same attitude that the harvest is plentiful. Uh, I said a few minutes ago that one of the main reasons why we, we don't pray more is that we don't care, perhaps. I think one of the other main reasons is that our faith is too small. We don't have a big enough faith to, to, um, that God can answer our prayers. And so I think this point helps us with that. I think if we have the expectancy of Jesus, if we see that the harvest is plentiful, then that will build up our faith and we can commit to God again in prayer. Now, if, if you, as, as I do, if you struggle to, to see and to believe sometimes in the potential of God's harvest, and I, I think it's helpful to remind ourselves of how people are saved. I'm going to flick instead to, to Matthew 16 to help us with this. So here Jesus is asking his disciples who they think he is. So Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of a living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, here we see Jesus saying that uh, it's not flesh and blood that has led uh, Simon to declare that Jesus is the Son of God, and flesh and blood is referring to anything of human logic or human explanations. It's not that, no. It's Jesus' Father in heaven who has brought about this understanding of who Jesus is. You see, faith in Jesus is a gift from God. Any Christian new birth is a miracle. And so when we, when we remind ourselves of this, then we remind ourselves that God can move. In God's time, he can perform the miracle of harvest. And so if you, if you felt like you, you don't pray regularly for non-believers, then, then hear the words of Jesus this morning. The harvest is plentiful. So to catch up where we are, we need the, the eyes of Jesus to see the great need that is out there. We need to respond to that with the compassion of Jesus. And then we need to have the expectancy of Jesus to expect that God can do a miracle to bring about salvation as well. And so what's, what's the fourth and final point that I'm going to draw from this passage? It's that we need to respond to all these things in prayer. It says that, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, simply put, we need to pray because we are commanded. These are Jesus' words to the disciples, and so we can read them for ourselves too. Jesus tells us that we need to pray, and so we should. But we also need to pray because God alone has power to save. We can pray because God is the one who gives gifts to his laborers. We can pray to God because he is the one who gives us opportunities to bear witness. We need to pray to God because he is the one who saves. We need the power of God. Now, I think when we, when we actually look at this uh, the sentence in greater detail, I think there is actually something that's a little bit strange, a little bit that doesn't necessarily make sense straight away, and it's this. Why should we beg for the owner of a farm to send out more workers into his harvest? Because surely the Lord of a harvest knows that more, more workers are needed. Surely the Lord of a harvest cares that there aren't enough workers. So why are we even asking him? He's the one who's powerful. So why are we asking him? And I think there's only one answer to that, that query, one answer to that question, and it's this, is that God, he, he, wants, he, he wants to work a harvest, but he, his desire is that to be preceded by prayer. God loves to bless the world, but he loves to bless the world more in response to prayer. I think that's what we can learn from this. Again, just returning to um, that John Piper quote I started with, says that before God enables his people to bring in a harvest, he pours out a spirit of prayer upon them. The surest sign that God is about to send power upon us is a great movement of prayer in our midst. Again, God loves to bless the world. God wants to bring salvation here. 
but he wants to do that in response to us turning to him in prayer. Blessings will flow to us as a church if we seek God in prayer. Again, we need that, that power of God. We need that fuel, don't we? As I started off this, service, uh, this sermon talking about. We need that fuel, and that fuel is prayer. Now, if you need further convincing of the importance of prayer, I'm going to look at um, two people from the Bible who, who showed their commitment to prayer. Uh, the first is um, St. Paul, and we can read about his commitment to prayer in Colossians chapter 4. So this is Paul writing. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. Uh, sorry. Uh, but I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. You see, this is uh, St. Paul. This is one of the heroes of our faith. And we can see him and how committed he was to prayer. He's, he's, he's asking his, um, his churches to pray. But he's also asking his churches to pray for him. And if, if a man who achieved so much as Paul was dependent on prayer, how much more do we need to be dependent on prayer too? And we can also look at the life of Jesus and, and his prayer life. And so in Matthew chapter 14, uh, just to give some context to this passage as well, uh, this is directly after Jesus has fed the 5,000. And, and look what it says. It says that immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So this is Jesus. He's just done an amazing miracle, fed 5,000 people. And what does he do? He goes by himself up a mountain to pray. Um, I don't know about you. I don't know when the last time you fed 5,000 people was. Um, <laughs> but this is Jesus. He's just an amazing thing. And when he comes to pray, to tap back into that power of God. So again, how much more do we need to tap into the power of God in prayer? So to summarize our learnings from this passage, we need the eyes of Jesus to see the great need around us. We need to respond to that with compassion. We need the expectancy of Jesus as well to believe that God can move. And we need to respond to all these things in prayer, seeking the power of God. Uh, now, before I close, I want to, I want to spend some minutes thinking practically about how we can pray and what we should pray for. Because I'd hate for us to have been challenged this morning to pray, but then to leave unchanged. I want us to, to be built up and to become a, a people who pray more. And so what can we, what can we or what should we pray for um, in, um, in regards to the mission of a church? Well, I think a lot of the things we've, we've already seen this morning, we can see that, we can pray that we would uh, see the great need. If we, if we don't see that need, I think we can pray that we would do. Uh, we can pray that we as a people would have more compassion for those around us. Uh, we can pray that we would have greater faith that God would move. 
And we can pray as, as Jesus instructs us to send out workers into his harvest. Uh, I want to make it clear that this, this doesn't preclude us going out into the harvest field. I think that's clear from the fact that in the very next verses, Jesus sends out the disciples who he's speaking to. So whilst it says send out, um, the command is to pray, to send laborers into his harvest field. That includes us as well as we pray. And so, yeah, we, we can pray that he would send us out into the harvest, but also that he would send our brothers and sisters and others out too. And practically, uh, I was thinking about some, some tips, some practical things of how and when to pray. And I put these up on the screen behind me. And as we read through these, I just want to say something that um, I really feel like God would challenge us this morning, to challenge actually every single person here, perhaps, that to commit to one or two of these things. And so as we read through these, I I would challenge you to, to spend a minute or two asking God what he might be challenging you to, to, to commit to. I think that's going to be different for each one of us. Uh, but do uh, ask God what he might be speaking to you this morning. And so practically, um, I think we call to pray for specific um, individuals that they would come to know Jesus. And as part of this, um, we can pray for, what well, I'm going to say pray for 20, which is, and as a reminder, we have a, a 2020 vision as a church. And, and one of those parts of our vision is that we would be, um, each one of us, impacting 20 other people. And I think if we want to be impacting 20 other people, then we should be praying for those 20 other people. Uh, fasting is such a great discipline. And so you can pray and fast. If, if you want to know more about fasting, then we, we had a sermon on that very topic um, a few months ago. I think it was in the Discipline series, so do go and have a look at that. But perhaps this morning, God is challenging you to, to commit to fasting, maybe a meal a week or even a whole day, uh, once a month, or some other permutation of those things. Perhaps you could commit to fasting and prayer. Perhaps God would challenge you to commit uh, one day to praying for the, the mission of a church. Uh, or perhaps God is challenging you to commit um, just two, you know, three or five minutes every day at a certain time to pray. And to help with this, you can set a reminder on your phone to ping in so that you would be, okay, I've got to pray for five minutes now. Perhaps God would challenge you this morning to, to commit to coming to our church prayer evenings. Uh, in our notices, we had said that the next one is on the 29th of November. So perhaps God is challenging you to, to commit to coming to that where we can pray in for the life of a church and the mission of a church. You can go on a, on a prayer walk and perhaps God is challenging, challenging you to, to do that, to, to spend 20 minutes uh, walking and praying whilst you do so. Or perhaps God is challenging you this morning to, to pray on Sunday mornings. Uh, before the service, uh, there's always a prayer team at, that meets at 10 o'clock just to pray for the service and to pray for the life of the church. So perhaps God is challenging you to, to, to commit to coming to those as well. I'm sure there's, there's many other ways, practical ways of which you can pray, but there are some ideas there. I hope that some of those are helpful.
I want to finish with just a, a couple of stories which I really hope will be an encouragement to us. Uh, the first is the story of the revival in the Hebrides. And it goes as, as follows. Uh, that in 1949, on the island of Lewis, two old women, one of them 84 and the other 82, were, were greatly burdened because of the state of their church. Indeed, not a single young person attended worship. Uh, they were so greatly burdened that they decided to commit themselves to prayer. And so twice a week, from 10 o'clock in the evening until 3 in the morning, they prayed to God. Amazing. Um, and after a couple of weeks of doing so, uh, I'm going to cut this long story short, um, God acted in a powerful way. He brought a new church a minister to that island. And then this church, which was once very low on numbers, was instead filled with hundreds and hundreds of worshippers placing their faith in God. This is what happened when people turned to God in prayer and God responded by pouring his spirit upon that island. This can happen in Watford too if we turn to him in prayer. Or if we look at the story of the revival in New York in the 1850s, uh, Jeremiah Lanthier uh, decided to set up a prayer meeting in midday in the city. Again, within six months, 10,000 people were meeting to pray. And then within two years, millions of people were saved in New York. This is what God did when people came to him in prayer. He moved powerfully. There's just a couple of examples, but I believe if you looked at other stories of salvation, you will see that prayer is always there, running through it and running at the start. Uh, so as I just close now, I'm, I thought I'd put up that slide again. And again, I'd encourage you, again, just to take a minute or two, if you haven't already, to look at those and to ask God if he's challenging, if he's asking you to, to commit to, to prayer in one of those ways. Uh, perhaps instead you've been challenged by one of the, the points we learned from our scripture. Perhaps you've been challenged that you, you need to actually see the great need around you more. Perhaps you've been challenged that you need to have greater compassion on those around us. Or perhaps you've been challenged that you need to have greater faith that God can move, that God can bring salvation. If any of those things speak to you again, um, we have a prayer ministry team after the service who'd we'd love to pray with you. But again, um, I'd just challenge you not to leave here um, without praying through those things if you do have been challenged. Um, otherwise, we're going to have teas and coffees downstairs. Um, and so it'd be great to see you down there. Um, please do join us. Uh, let, me, <laughs> let me close in prayer as well, of course. Yeah, Father God, we, we thank you for your precious word. Uh, we thank you for the gift that it is. And I pray that as we consider these things, that you would, you would change us, Lord, that you would uh, help us to humbly come before you in prayer to seek your blessings, to seek your power. And I pray that you would uh, bring great blessings upon this church, that as we go on mission as a church and as in, and individually, that you would 
bless that. Would you send us out on mission? And would you send my brothers and, and sisters out on mission too, Lord, into your harvest? Would you bless us as we go out this afternoon too, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.